Yeah, it's like yeah. on the bottle, and it's a turkey. Like it's Thanksgiving mm-hmm. season. Whoa! Well, it's right uh, around the corner. I didn't. I didn't recognize it. I was out, and I was at DB Cooper's. And I was like, "Hey, Tyler, what is that?" And he's like, "It's wild turkey." Oh, and I was like, yeah. "What?" And he's like, "Yeah, they rebranded. That's how they I found re- out about it too. Everything it was the same exact way. I saw that ball, and I was like, because I looked it? at it, and I was just like, "What?" Well, I thought. I thought and wild turkey came up with a new line. That's what I thought for a so, second that too. Once he said it's wild turkey, I said, "Oh, is it a new one?" He went, "No, it's, it's just the wild turkey one on one." And I was like, "Yeah." And I think it's still one of the bang for buck best bourbons out there. That's my, my opinion. I, I think Wild Turkey is, it's the one that seems to stood up to inflation the best. Did you know that over $5 trillion exchanges hands on a daily basis? That's an average of over $220 billion an hour. Now, how does this much money move every single day? And why does it move the way it does? Here on Drunkenomics, Two bartenders who also happen to be students at the University of Nebraska Graduate School of Business are going to sit down and drink to the global economy and try and translate it into English. So sit back, relax, pour yourself a stiff one, and have a drink with us to the comedy that is the global economy. All right, yep, that's it. Welcome back to Drunkonomics, everybody. So glad you all can join us. This is the Drinking Podcast with an Economics Problem. Five trillion dollars exchanging hands in a day, or whatever did I say it was in the I mean, intro? It was that it, what it was. It was less then. It's more now. It's definitely a lot more now, which means I should probably re-record the intro. Uh, not to mention, I'm not necessarily still in grad school anymore, but it is what it is. I still like to drink, and I still like to present while I drink. I like to describe it as two grad students a taken approach, because that's the way where I, that's the way I approach. Yeah, I guess it's still relatively accurate. So you know, I don't know. Maybe I'll get around to it if I uh, decide that I have the gumption to do something like that. But whatever. So glad you all can join us. Hopefully, you have a nice stiff one in front of you, unless you're about to go drive. Or are currently driving. That too. Yeah. As uh, rebellious as a roadie sounds, it's actually really not that good of an idea. But, you know, it's your life. Live it how you want. I don't recommend it. <laughs> Anyways, because the VIX is at not 18, as a matter of fact, it's less than 18, I would like to welcome you all back as the more gracious host. My name is Aaron. Last name Wong. Joining alongside me is uh, our less gracious guy. host, really. Mm-hmm. And that makes me James Goldwater. Yeah. Not because I'm the less gracious host, but just because that's who I am. I happen to be the less well, gracious host. Well, this week, host. it also, it's both. It's really so, funny that you that you yes. get to live a more gracious life in essentially two points. And right. I, I'm everywhere else. And somehow you're still more gracious more often. I, I know, but <laughs> I sympathize with you because I don't understand my graciousness. In other words, what I'm trying to say is I don't understand the VIX being at where it is today. So I guess we really have well, to, I just have to call you the graceful golfer. and I, I just cross our fingers and just kind of hope for it. the best or, or worst or whatever seems to so, be out there. Something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With that said, I um, just want to give a quick shout out as this music decides to our social media. Give ourselves a quick shout out. You can find us on the Metaverse. Also known as Facebook. And Instagram. And Instagram. <laughs> and Twitter. <laughs> I mean, not Twitter, but you can also find us on Twitter. At Drunkenomical, D-R-U-N-K-D-O-M-I-C-A-L. That's our handle for all three of those platforms. Brandon, lead singer of the band Super Kilo here in the DFW area where I live. How, how's it going? Yeah, I was going to say, I saw I saw pictures of you in a shirt, in, in a shirt for us. Shout out for that. Yeah, so. I guess. On, yeah, I mean, I guess you sounded good. You sounded okay at the last gig. Okay, fine. You yeah. sounded great. Okay, I'll admit it. You sounded great. You're a great singer. You're a great bassist. All right, I'll, I'll, and I'll admit than, it. And, and, and I'll, be, I'll be honest, we're more than happy to sponsor your beer breaks. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, in fact, we find we're very supportive of of all drunkenomical breaks. Yeah. Period. Exactly. But in the middle so, of a show, that seems like a great one. So yeah, keep it I up. guess uh, I don't know. Whatever. I guess I'll see you at the next gig. Okay. All right. Anyways, back to the show. 
Back to Drunkenomics, back to our presentation that is... Yeah, so if you track uh, us down on our social medias, wherever you decide to track them down, you can find an invitation to the Discord, jump into the Discord, where you can enjoy camaraderie with other econoholics and drinkonomists, yeah, joke up. memes, send some questions to us. We try to interact with you guys as much as we can. I have a pretty spicy joke in there myself right now. Nice. I don't know if you saw it, Aaron. I did My see inflation it. joke. That was awesome. Okay, so yeah, obviously uh, due to inflation last month, what was that joke? So uh, you know what? Find it on Discord. Oh, okay. Um, it's yeah. been an interesting week. So I mean- It really has. Uh, this last we week- We could talk about- I mean, Biden's had a busy weekend. Biden has had a really busy yeah. weekend, but uh, let's start with this. The economy has reported some numbers about the month of October that have been Absolutely. really good and really bad. So at the beginning of the week, we talked about last week, the jolt support turned out to be pretty good. Wages up, labor force participation, still pretty steady, but jobs added much higher than expected, which is good. But then later in the week, we also had the PPI numbers and... Um, and the quit reports. Yeah, so I know that they that unfil- so unfilled jobs in October is still ten point four million. So it's not it hasn't decreased, which I know they were expecting. Yeah. yeah so no, I mean looking at some of these jolts numbers, I I come to the conclusion that yeah, people are still that jobs aren't being filled, but there's a lot of turnover. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. It's what to expect if if there's more money somewhere else and they're not um, if businesses aren't raising salaries and for people that are already there and other businesses are willing to pay you more to move, then people are going to jump ship and go. Right. Yeah. And, and the crazy thing is, like, I think what really surprised me is like I, the quit numbers to me aren't that big of a surprise, especially you know with with the 10.1 million or te- whatever 10.9 million 10.09 million or whatever it is unfilled jobs the quit reports don't really surprise me in that sense and not to mention the labor force mm-hmm. participation being as low as it is that doesn't surprise me at all i do think eventually it'll get back to some sort of equilibrium but right now none of those numbers surprise me but what does actually kind of rub me the wrong way is just the ppi yeah and, and that's gonna numbers. you can expect to see weird jolt numbers with inflation doing what it's doing because people are going to jump ship to higher pay if there's like mm. i said if there's better salaries out there people are going to move to better salaries if they have if they have the ability yeah so i mean so. the crazy thing was like so before inflation was what 5.4 percent or something like that 5.6 5.4 percent well at least Based mm-hmm. off of September's numbers, that's what it looked like. Yeah. That's what it's suggesting. And then on Monday, wage growth and all that kind of stuff, all those numbers seem to suggest, wait, wages are catching up with inflation. So it's not the end of the world if wage growth is starting to bridge the gap, or at least the, the gap between wage growth and inflation is starting to become more narrow. But then the end of the week with the new inflation numbers from October, it's like, okay, well, there goes that hope. And that dream, sorry, yeah, it's, if you received a 5% wage increase for the year 2021, well, too bad because uh, inflation grew by 6.2% year over year. So. Six point, I, I thought I saw 6.2. I've seen, I've seen 6.2. I've seen 6.8 for October. And all I can think is, well, it's, all it's, right. It depends on what thing it is, right? So certain things, yeah. like as far as meats uh, and fresh produce. Well, for me, it's for me the big one is let's com- comparing to last year's maybe not the best way to do it. Let's compare to maybe 2019, some other base years that don't have massive gr- drops and stuff. Right, I know exactly. But, well, and th- and that's the thing is like based on last year, obviously inflation is going to grow like, and it's going to be skewed like so poorly yeah, that it's going to look just, bad. Yeah, but I mean, my problem is like meat. You know, meat prices didn't necessarily decrease last year. You know, they're still pretty no, steady. No, they would have gone up or stayed steady yeah, just because and, of lack of supply. Right. And then I think based on the data that we received on Thursday, meat is about, you know, 10 to 20% more expensive now than it was last year. 
and it's really inelastic product. So to me, that suggests that, I don't know, inflation is definitely real and present, like even year over year mm-hmm. in certain things, such as meat, gas. I mean, no, gas doesn't really count, but well, meat, milk, food. I know a produce. lot of the people are looking at, a lot of people look at inflation, they go, well, energy costs are going up. And then you get guys like Chuck Schumer who are like, oh, uh, oh yeah. you know, the president needs to tap the strategic oil reserve. And my response is, well, oh, yeah, that's okay, right. he did say that. Let's yeah. say he does that. You know, the oil reserve, if you really think about it, if we tap the oil reserve, we can only pull out so many thousand barrels a day. That's just the amount of those speed with right. which you can pump it out of the ground. That number, that, that amount daily will not affect anything. Well, because it, it's too insignificant. Like mm-hmm. it's going the, into winter. Right. And, and in order to actually like influence the price of energy and energy costs, like you can't just increase output yeah. by like 0.02%, you know, by tapping into the oil reserves. It's just like it, it wouldn't actually influence the price of gas or energy. I mean, obviously, because I mean, we because we sit here and we say like it's, bit, but it's going to be a little bit more than 0.02%. But yeah. So in September, it was 621 million barrels, uh-huh. which is 31 days of oil in 2019. Uh-huh. That's all it is. Right? So you think about it, it the, the entire premise of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is that in the event of an emergency, an actual catastrophe- Like a supply chain crisis or something like that, yeah. Or a war. Right, yeah. The United States could, I mean, if you if you look at it, on the one hand, now it's been used to essentially stabilize markets in, in, right. in certain situations. But I, it was always explained to me whenever I've read about the entire premise of the oil reserves that it was created so that in the event of a war, the United States would not be <laughs> dependent on an overseas good. But now, obviously, the issue well, is semiconductors. So, well, in a perfect you know, world, pros yeah. and cons. But yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. I, I feel like, and we talked about this last week too. I mean, when it comes to the supply and the demand of a bunch of things, such as oil, gas, you know, cash, for instance. Yeah. I mean, we have the resources to really control the actual amount of, and the quantity of that thing that's out it's there. one month. Yeah. You know, but um, I, I don't know. Like... I guess based on the uh, the PPI data from the month of October, I don't know. I'm starting to actually get a little bit worried. It's, uh, I, d- I don't. It's, I've I've been saying this. I think in our conversations for months. I don't think it's transitory. Right. I understand. And I, and I understand that, why people are like, "Oh, it's transitory," and I'm like, "I don't see that because it is in the energy sector too." Right. But I don't it's, see like what people are actually trying to do to address this issue. And I understand like you know the other thing that I wanted to talk about. And I think this is a good segue into this topic is. The partisan, bipartisan, 1.5, the bipartisan one point five infra- trillion dollar infrastructure bill. Uh, I mean, long, I call it so. I call it the partisan, bipartisan infrastructure bill, but uh, um, the BP, but, if you will. Well, I call it the PBP. So <laughs> partisan, bipartisan bill. You know what? Fair enough. The last thing we need is the BP lawyers coming after. Us. Right, exactly. Because I really don't think it's that bipartisan. It's somewhat bipartisan. But, <laughs> anyways. I think this is a good segue into that because now, you know, we're increasing the cash supply over the span of the next 10 years by, you know, one point. Was it, what was the final figure? Was it 1.2, 1.5 1. 1. I, I saw, I thought, 1. It was, I thought it was about 1.5 trillion. Okay. So. Well, I guess that's not terrible, but I mean, there's a lot of, I don't know, it's a 2,700 page bill. So like, do yeah. we actually know what's all in it? No. No. I uh, fully expect to see this is going to go to roads, bridges, internet, electric, electrical infrastructure, stuff that needs to be done. Frankly, it needed to be done. Yes, of course. So I, I still you know, think, I'm not, yeah, I still think the 1.5 trillion is still very excessive, um, but it's passed, right? So it's not, we'll see what, like, we'll actually see what happens, right? So, so um, I guess it's going to ask, is this going to, is this causing inflation? This bill is not causing inflation. No. Yeah. I'd say like, is it, could it? 
yes. Is yeah, it going to? It'll cause inflation in a few very specific raw material markets. Yeah, but it's not. But it's not causing inflation one right now. And at the same it's not time, co- it's it's not doing anything to your consumer goods. Well, not directly. I think it could. No, I think it definitely well, could. It will. It will once the contracts start going out. Also, but, I think once the demand for those raw materials, because I think you know all these precious metals that are going to be used to, you know, build these chips oh, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Copper, steel, right. concrete, I mean, all of it. Yeah. Now now there's a demand pull towards that because well the government just passed this one point five trillion dollar bill. And now there's fifty states with right. however many counties and however many power utilities. That needs to and, buy copper and whatever yeah. I, I don't know what Yeah, raw, it's, it's raw material. It's gonna drive up raw yeah. material good the raw material cost. Yeah, and then and concrete, the, cement, all that kind of stuff to build to and wood and whatever yeah. else they need to to fix the port or at least to build more ports to you know make sure that the ships out in the Pacific Ocean and Atlantic Ocean aren't just stuck there and waiting. Well, suddenly what, what gas you'll see there. is there's going to be more <laughs> ships coming in, so there's going to be more ships that need to be unloaded, so they'll have to hire more people because the ports are going to see increased activity. Well, yeah, of course, you know. and, and they need people to they need longshoremen to unload the you know and, unload and it. infrastructure bill could potentially incentivize the, the wage it's increase. A, it's and, a job cre- It's a job creation, and we'll talk more. Let's talk more about it next week once we know really what's in it. Because this drops the, the infrastructure bill is a massive. It's an example of fiscal policy. Yes, you absolutely. Know, talk about yeah, monetary policy next. Policy. Uh, last week we'll talk about fiscal policy next week because we were kind of planning to already, short of something cool happening. Yeah. And we can explain to you how what fiscal policy is and then how the two of them work arm in arm in tandem to try and right. keep the economy going. But yeah, exactly. And I think you know I'll just you know tie a bow on this real quick. But over the course of ten years. You know, this is going to increase the cash supply. 150 billion a year is. Yeah, 50 billion a year, which. You know, if you look at 150. The, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I don't know why it's 50 billion. Yeah, duh. Okay, I can, I can do math. I do Manhattan. Okay, well, okay, <laughs> it's because I didn't have the lemon twist in my Manhattan. Okay, so. Fair. Yeah, I was missing the lemon twist, which means, you know, I couldn't add. I don't know how that makes sense, but you can figure it out yourself. He's off his game. Uh, yeah, whatever. That's all it means. Sorry. He's off his game. It's crazy how big of a difference that lemon twist is. It's yeah, guys, you wouldn't you, you wouldn't believe, like, I mean, you, you would when you taste it, but for me, one of my favorites is, like, you get people who, like, have a Manhattan, and it's like, oh, I'm a full ounce of sweet vermouth guy, but you could also do a Manhattan Perfect, which is half and half, half oh, ounce yeah. of sweet, half ounce of dry. And you'd think, oh, that half ounce isn't going to make a whole lot of difference. Dude. Absolutely does. And the Absolutely lemon twist. Does. If you do it with a lemon twist instead of an orange twist, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah, it's insane. Oh, yeah. And that's the reason why I said $50 billion a year instead of $150 billion a year, which is obvious. That's how much the budget is going to increase by every single year because of the infrastructure bill. But this, in yeah. the grand scheme of things, $150 billion, I mean, it's pretty significant. I mean, how much of that in percentage is it like? Because how much do we spend a year? $4.829 trillion. On average. And that's not including last year because last year is insane. But yeah, so I mean, yeah. one point, yeah, so $150 billion, I mean, it's, I don't know, what is that, 5%? ish so you're increasing the federal budget by five percent yeah it's it's about it's it's a little more than three percent oh it's three percent but five percent that's five percent to be fair is actually a pretty decent metric yeah so you're increasing it by three percent or five percent whatever three percent to be more accurate five percent if you just want to do even nice round numbers ballpark number yeah yeah so i mean i don't know i think that's a pretty big increase you know the size of it's not 150 billion dollars it's not insubstantial but right. you know, again, I well, just to say, say it, this: it if to you be pump done. the oil supply by three, if you increase the oil supply uh, or the BP, the barrels per day by three percent, that would actually lower the price of gasoline. Like when next that, time you fill up gas. On the flip side, yeah. if you add that much in cash, 
I think it's going to influence inflation throughout the next 10 years. There's no way around it. Sure. I don't think it's all for naught. Like I do think this- I think the benefits will outweigh. Yeah, there are good things in the infrastructure bill. I don't, I mean, I, I, I also think there's, there's plenty of bad things in the infrastructure bill too. Well, but, yeah, but um, that's every law. That's everything that the government signs. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, I don't know. I, I don't love the dependence on, I, I hate to, I hate government dependence personally. That's, I mean, you know me. Well- Not an anarchist, it, but I'm, I, I look don't- at, You know, I look at you know. a lot of, I, I was, I've read a few really interesting papers and I've come to the conclusion that the the free market tends to come to the best result, but I've also come to the conclusion that the Western style free market performs best when there is, I don't want to say more government involvement than less, but when the government essentially curbs excesses. I mean, I, I think I kind of get what you're saying. I mean, obviously, like, I don't think the government should cap how much anybody can ever make. No. Right? But I also understand what you're saying in the sense that, like, okay, if you make this much, and you have people working for you that make this much, that's not cool, right? Because you're not willing to do that job, obviously. Yeah, essentially so, when, a, when a government says, okay, you can you can either pay your employees more or if you don't and they're on welfare, mm-hmm. you can your company can pay enough in taxes to pay for that and then more. Because look, someone's yeah, going to have to take care of this and, and because you won't, we will. Yeah. And, and, that's, I, and that is what I mean. It's that, yeah, and, it's that. and like, I, I think, I think we'll see, like, I think the good thing about this bill, you know, and I know there are a lot of people on the far right that maybe listen to this podcast that are thinking, what if, what are some good things about this bill? And I'll say this, like, you know what, like to the people on the far right that listen to this podcast, I'm telling you this, I was not a fan of this bill to begin with. And James, you know that. Absolutely. But I do see some good things in this bill because I think it will open up some bottlenecks in the supply chain. It really will. I think we're going to pay a premium f- to open up those bottlenecks, but we are going to, I think, open up the bottlenecks in the supply you chain. You were going to have to so, pay that premium anyway. Someone was going to have to pay that premium. Well, when inflation's at 6.2%, everything's at a premium. So Yeah, I was, that's, I, that's what I mean. Like, right. It's either getting paid for by the customer or it's getting paid for by a government or it's getting paid for by a business, but it's getting paid but, for. Yeah, it's I mean, going to have to be. The thing is, like, if you make a market for that thing at 6.2% inflation, like you're just reinforcing that inflation rate, in my opinion. But at the same time, you're building more ports. You know, expanding the, the ships capacity, aren't being you're expanding out shipping in, capacity. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you're giving people the capacity to hire more workers, hopefully. You know, hopefully we'll have more Teamsters. Hopefully we'll have more truck drivers and, um, <laughs> I don't know, iron ore miners, whatever it is, to help get that supply oh, yeah. back up to kind of meet the demand and kind of bring that equilibrium a little bit lower. But I don't well, know. To bring I our think- equilibrium, to bring our, to increase our equilibrium quantity and to decrease our equilibrium price. Right. And, and not that's- to mention, if, if we have a more efficient supply chain, you know, if if the ships are actually like boarding the docks and the products are being unloaded quickly and all that kind of stuff and dished mm-hmm. out, if all that is done more efficiently, it's it's going to reduce prices. There's a reason Amazon yeah, it's gonna, because it's going to push supply up and it's going to yeah, it's going to well hopefully yeah, it pushes yeah. supply to the right. So for yeah. those of you who yeah hypothetically oh, man, yeah do we really have to I, and maybe we will maybe I'll maybe I'll we'll do a, a drunkenomics video. Because you have to be to do a video to just show the basic supply demand relationship, and it's it'll yeah, be a fun time. Be I awesome. promise. Like, I'll, okay, you know, I'll what? drink pretty heavily, and we'll we'll get it we'll get it to win it, guys. I promise. We'll, we'll yeah, do we definitely fun. need to do that video because uh, I think yeah. it makes much more sense if you actually like illustrate it. Yeah, when you can stuff. when you can see it. Um, I, I do think it. this bill will actually push supply to the right. And to be honest with you, it's it's tough to argue against that. It's I mean, I agree. Supply chains are more efficient. 
like supply is going to catch up. So that's my two cents on that stuff and on PPI numbers and all that kind of stuff. Hopefully, hopefully Biden's right. Really, honestly, like I'm not, I'm not kidding. This sounds weird. It uh, generally you know, hopes that the person in charge isn't unsuccessful. Yes. I mean, because I, I mean, you know me, I'm not a fan of Biden whatsoever. Was a fan of the last guy. Wasn't a fan of the guy before that. But I am not a fan of Biden whatsoever. But still, I believe it's still. I hope he's right. I, I believe it's fair to say that I have an active complaint about every president that's ever been president while I've been alive. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to be honest with you. Like you know, I do hope he's right when he says this will reduce inflation because he has literally blatantly come out on television and said this spending bill will reduce inflation. Which I mean, that just sounds like an oxymoron. But yeah, I, I hope he's right. I hope he's I really hope he's it's, right. It's possible. <laughs> I hope highly he's right improbable. It's, highly improbable. It's, what'll happen is he'll, he'll he may be able to lower average inflation. Not, uh, not but it won't. But there's, yeah. What, what, well, what I, I think what he means is that he wants to be able to lower inflation in um, consumer goods um, at the expense of raw materials uh, for construction. And, and that's still, but it's uh, the cost of that still has to filter out into the actual final product. So to me, it's still well, but so, ah, well, I don't not necessarily. Know. Like so the great thing is, so the great thing is, roads are public goods. They're publicly owned. Okay, no, okay. owned by private entities. So right, I understand that, but I like my thing is this one point five trillion dollar bill. I mean, it's so much of it mm-hmm. is being spent on raw materials. I think just raw materials, not to mention the cost of labor when it comes to strengthening our supply chain. Well, that's all that's going to yeah. go up. That's going to factor into the the price of the final output. So I don't and, know. And like right. I I don't see and what the, the I hope see the that, hope would be is that with better quality roads trucks are able to move more efficiently with yeah it's there's there's a lot of assumptions well and it's not but it's not trucks we're so dependent on foreign imports and i think this bill is really increasing our dependence on foreign imports which i also hate too but different topic it'll help us make foreign imports become more efficient so because of that I do think it will, in that sense, reduce inflation. But the bill as a it'll whole- It'll take time is the issue. It'll, it'll, take, it'll take a lot of, t- if it does at all. But I think the bill as a whole, I don't think it'll, I mean, I, I think a $1.5 trillion spending bill, using that word and reducing inflation in the same sense is just, I mean, that's It's like, oxymoronic. Or just moronic. But yes, it's also oxymoronic. So yeah. But anyways, enough about that. Quick question. Um, what do you think about the whole- Paris Climate Agreement thing, uh, as asked um, to us by our good friend in the Discord channel, Gitto163. Yeah, so, how, yeah, Gitto163. Um, how you going? Uh, I don't know anything maybe about I'm, it. Maybe I'm a lot more skeptical when it comes to, like, carbon credits than I should be. But to me, when I see things like, oh, we're going to do international carbon credits for places, it's like, okay, well, they did one thing right, which is to say that Brazil can't claim a carbon credit mm-hmm. for itself and then sell that same carbon credit to someone else because it's like, that's not how this works. So they've said essentially that they're going to do a, a double bookkeep. If, if, so if the U.S. were to buy a carbon credit from Brazil, the number in the U.S. goes up by one. The number of U, uh, credits in Brazil goes down so by one. So how does that one. work? So you, so have you, to have you can buy and sell carbon credits now? Is it kind of like, yeah, it sounds like a futures it's, contract, it's so, but yes. uh, not really. It's, so it's a, apparently they've accepted every carbon credit that's been created since 2013. And Whoa. I guess there's a lot of people uh, in the climate research sphere who have said like, that's that's not like the numbers you have aren't acceptable. Like there's something wrong with your numbers. So is there an organization that's taxing these carbon credits? Is that kind of how it works? Like sort if you, of, if you yeah. buy, so, so, but if you buy a carbon credit, you don't have to pay the UN or whoever. The, what, what is it? The COP or yeah. So so this so um, the agreement 
has essentially come up with the fact that there's going to be there's going to be a centralized marketplace for carbon credits. Gosh. So in a bilateral trade wow. agreement, two nations can trade carbon credits. So the U.S. could acquire carbon credits from Brazil or from England or, on a yeah. national level, or Saudi Arabia, and then yeah. turn around and determine inside of their own country where those credits go, who's able to acquire them. Like oh, so like which companies? So like so Tesla yeah. can buy carbon credits technically from the U.S. government. Yes. So the U.S. government can acquire international carbon credit, or or a government can acquire carbon credits from a foreign nation in a bilateral trade agreement. Wow. So in a trade agreement between the two countries, there will also be an actual marketplace for credits. So Paris, uh, uh, it uh, looks like Paris is probably going to sure. be the. I, I, the I one didn't. That's, I, yeah, uh, it's it's yeah, it's part of the Paris climate agreement. So it's, so Paris is going to be the one that's kind of it's it, like it's going to be like the New York Stock Exchange of the carbon credits, yeah. kind of yeah, or the CBOE Stock Exchange, yeah. yeah or exactly. or the, Exactly. Yeah, the CME, right? Uh, but for yeah. but for carbon um, credits instead so it'll of be mercantiles, the, PC, yeah. the the Paris Carbon Exchange. Uh, yeah, uh, it's. So I, I don't know if now, I like it, but I'll say this: I like the idea that there's actually going to be a set market that. Oh. I, I'm not. I don't hate the idea of a, of a of a marketplace that where where everyone can agree there's a finite number of things, or here's the number of credits and how they're going and where they're going. So it's going to be like and, a Bitcoin. Yes, and that's and that and see, this is the but for me though. I've never had an explanation that makes them work to me. Right, and I think this other layer, you know, futures are complicated enough for most people. I mean, like you ask their average person how futures work, and these things affect your life. Like, yeah, those things are complicated enough. Let alone you add another thing. I don't know. Maybe this could work, and I I appreciate their productivity. I, yeah, uh, I'll say that. I think this is a. I think this is the best method to make what they're trying to do work. My issue is at the base of it being okay. So people who are buying carbon credits are producing carbon, and they're trying to offset finger quotes that production by but, buying carbon credits from places that aren't producing carbon. But so what I like, want to know is what are you doing with that money? Are you planting trees with that money? Yeah. Like, you know, like is research being done? Are you cleaning up the ocean? Like what are you doing with the money? As a buyer of the credit, I'm buying the credit to offset my, my yeah. pollution output. But what's the buy? What's the seller of that credit doing? I absolutely yeah, agree with you. Like, is this a price for Brazil not to cut down the rainforest? That doesn't, okay, maybe this is a good way to pay them not to well, do that. I know. But if they're not planting more, yeah. it's like, well, well hang like, on. I mean, if you bought a carbon credit from me, I mean, I might just go use it and that, that, that's going to cover my bar tab, right? So it's not actually helping the earth anything, right? Correct. So I want to know. That's, like, so, and that's my question uh, as well. I guess that hopefully that answers your question, Ghetto. 163. Yeah, it's G-I-D-D-O. a yeah, so that's that's yeah. kind of where we're at. It's it seems like it's yeah. obviously they've agreed to something. We haven't seen how it's how it's going to work. Yeah. So we have a better a better answer for that later. I, I will say that I do know that on the market or from what I was reading on the market, five percent of the money being sold, like of the of the money exchanged, is being or there's a tax of five percent that's being taken at the trade, and that's that money is going to be given to undeveloped nations. To develop uh, in a more responsible fashion. Yeah. So no, and, and maybe that's, the thing is a lot, a that's lot of, a good thing. Yeah, maybe it is. My thing is like I appreciate the productivity, and you know, like you know, I'm I'm not one of those people that I think we should overspend on climate change, but I do think it is a real subject, and I do think it needs to be addressed. Yeah. So. I, like I said, I appreciate the productivity. You know, I, I don't necessarily see how it tangibly is going to help, but I- I'm willing to give it a shot. 
I'm willing to give it a shot to, I mean, hopefully it doesn't waste too much money, which that's also a big concern too, because it's the UN. UN is notorious for wasting money. So, uh, um, I mean, look, I'm willing to give this a shot. It seems like so, a, it doesn't seem like a particularly expensive um, method. You don't have to buy carbon credits. Right. That's the thing. You don't have to buy. So, yeah. So fine. Let's, let, so let's, let's try a market yeah. solution. Let's see what happens. Yeah. I mean, if we start enforcing companies to, you know, have carbon credit reserves, that's when I'll say, whoa, whoa, okay, that's, yeah, that's a little bit, yeah, but yeah, uh, I guess yeah, it could be, yeah, with that said, um, I mean, it's kind of a wait and see. Yeah. You know, speaking of having to hold things in reserves, this is a weird segue. I'm sorry. I'm really <laughs> weird. It's about, yeah, it's about that obviously. point yeah, in yeah. our recording session in which we should probably start venturing on over to our main topic. Yeah. Even into our main wanna, topic. Yeah, I agree. Even though I do want to talk about uh, the China with the whole, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, list of demands. I want to talk about that for like two seconds because it's a whole lot of not going to, ha- it's a whole lot of not going to happen, but China basically, of, nope. yeah, China wants us to end all official contacts with Taiwan. Not yeah. going to happen. So they've said that though. They've recently just said that th- that is not going to happen. Yeah. They want us to not have any anti-China rhetoric, anti-CCP rhetoric in our education system. Which I don't know. No, I, that shouldn't happen. Again. Um, well, that, I don't. You know, I, mean, I, would say I don't think. I don't believe it's actively a part of the um, their demands. Any education system. I've oh no, ever yeah, seen. it's not actively a part but, of it. But I mean, I grew up learning that communism was bad, um, and well, I don't. I have no regrets about that. So I'll be honest. It, this is probably not something that gets taught in. Uh, maybe it gets taught in public in high school, but at some point you do have to talk about in China the the. Chairman Mao, the the so-called Great Leap Forward, where it's like, well, right, yeah. which was almost an exact repeat of what of what happened in the Soviet Union. The whole Kuomintang the Kuomintang so the, in the twenties, and then going all into the forties with the CCP kind of taking well, over. Yeah, well, parts where it's like, okay, well, let's move people, let's move people, let's move farmers to the cities to work in factories, oh, yeah. and let's move let's move <laughs> the lawyers, the professors, the, the intelligentsia of a nation. Let's move them out into the country to be farmers, and it's like, well, the talent is completely misallocated. Well, can, it's a hell of a lot easier to put a farmer in a factory and get goods out than yeah. it is to put a white collar person on a farm and expect food production. Right. So be at the same I know, level, but that, that's the thing is like work. With, with the whole CCP. It's like you don't really decide what you get to do. If we need a body in this role, you got to do it. Yeah, don't want to do it. Sorry. So, but anyways, yeah, I just want to talk about that. That happened. I'll, I'll talk more about it next week, or if not next week, some point down the road, as the story develops a little bit more, because it, there's a lot of progress being made on the whole U.S.-China relations, especially with the new administration, and there's still well, a lot of TBD, ta- right? So, this way. They're talking. They're talking today. We have, they, they talked today. You know, if we you were, don't know if, what they said. Yeah, they talked today. We'll gather more data. We'll get back to you, but that's a... Uh, that yeah. list of demands I looked at and I went, I mean, is, if you don't ask, you don't get. But I'll be honest, you've, you're not going to get that. No, exactly. Uh, you know, but they always say, you know, if you're working a corporate job in America, you know what they say, uh, the squeaky wheel always gets to grease. So if you want a promotion, just got to keep, you know, p- keep poking at that, right? Or if you want some sort of lateral movement, just got to keep saying, hey, this is what I want to do. This is kind of what President Xi is doing. Yeah, if you don't- this is what I want from the U.S. This is exactly what I want. You know, they try to be the squeaky wheel that gets the grease. That was a terrible analogy. If you don't drink for that, I... Yeah, I was to say, don't you don't ask, you. you don't get. Um, He's, uh, I was going to yeah. say... Um, yeah. I always enjoyed the um, the Japanese proverb: "The nail that sticks out gets hammered." Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll drink for that one, not for the one that I made. But yeah, uh, speaking of which, um, I guess we better make a transition over to the whole. Uh, so our topic, main to, topic. Our, our original plan for the topic for tonight was uh, bonds from the issuer side, because um, yeah. we've talked about yield before, and we've said things like, "Oh, when you see yields go up, that means that the price of a bond is going down." 
And when yes. we talk about that, what we mean is we're talking about the secondary market. So, right, this is between a guy who bought the bond and someone else who wants to buy the bond. Yeah. Right? So because in the end, a bond is just, it's a promise to be paid the face value of the bond at, ma- at maturity yep. and uh, usually a coupon value, yeah. rate. Yeah. So the par value yep. of the bond at maturity and then um, a coupon rate, which one could think of as interest yeah. for the life Let's of the bond. Let's just kind of talk about how bonds are traded. When it comes to buying a bond, there's basically a couple of things that you got to look at. There's the coupon rate, which is the percentage you're going to receive on an annual basis based on the par value. So if the coupon rate is 5%, that means you're going to receive $50 over the course of a year because you own this bond because it's 5% of $1,000. So if they pay biannually, that means you're going to receive $25 every six months. So James, yeah. I sell you a bond that pays 5% coupon, not yield, but coupon annually. Um, that means, you know, you give me $1,000 every six months, I got to pay you $25 until the, until this bond matures. Until the and life. at maturity, yeah. I got to give you your $1,000 back. Correct. And the reason, if you're ever wondering why they're called coupon bonds, it's because when you bought a bond historically, it came with a bunch of coupons at the bottom and you would tear those off. Give it to the bank. Go to the company. Or the, the company. Give it to yeah. the bank or to the company in question and they would give you your that coupon payment. That's where that the, comes the cash, from. Right. Well, that's how you proved it. That's how, right? you, that's that's, how I proved you know. that I was the owner of the bond and I deserved this coupon. Right. Nowadays, payment. it's just you so buy in your brokerage account. It's like, okay, well, now every month you're getting, yeah. and, it's, and it pays biannually, yeah. then you're getting 50 bucks every six months. Think of it like a mortgage, right? Like, you know, a mortgage is like a monthly bond or I guess a bond that pays monthly. Every month you got to pay $800. Every month you got to pay $2,000 or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess if, of, you're, that's, if mean, you're the borrower, yeah, it's, that's it's part a, of- like, As the borrower, what? you make that payment. It's a payment you make to have essentially a piece of script that says that- Yeah. Blah, blah. I guess that was a weird way to put that. Well, no, no I mean, it, yeah, it, it makes sense. Um, like, I mean, because like bonds are traded in, in lots of thousands, right? Like you buy- Yeah. You don't buy half of a bond. You know, if you see a bond, if you buy twenty no. bonds, you're just spending twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, the, the, right. the average, the stand, unless otherwise stated, you can assume that a single bond has a par value of one thousand dollars. Correct. And then yeah. you have a coupon rate, which is if a coupon rate is five percent, it's five percent of the it's five percent. It's of the par value, so the, that we can assume a thousand dollars. Yeah. But then there's the yield, which is a completely yeah. different thing. Absolutely. Yeah. When you see the ten year yield, and the ten year yield is at one point five percent. That's the yield because the bond is trading at a premium or a discount. Yeah, right? essentially we look at yield and we'd say like, okay, what's we know what the coupon rate is going to be. We know what we're going to get paid in cash. What is that compared to the current value of the bond? Yes. And when we see, oh, it's paying out, say it's saying at, paying out above par, you'd be like, oh, it's doing really well. It's below par. Okay, well, the mm-hmm. price has gone up for whatever reason. Essentially, what is the payout? Uh, what is that coupon payout divided by the current value of the bond? And as yields go up, we're set. What we see is we know the coupon payment is static; it doesn't change. Yep. So, in division, we look at the denominator, and if that is decreasing, our yield is increasing. So, if the value of the bond is going down, mm-hmm. our yield's going up. If the yield is going down, then we can assume the value of the bond is increasing. Right. Exactly. So, basically. Think of it this way, right? If a coupon rate for a bond is 10%, but I buy the bond for $900, that means the yield is probably going to be more than 10% because, you know, I'm only paying $900 per bond to receive a 10% coupon rate to receive, what would a 10% coupon rate be if it pays by annually? Uh, by annually, $50, uh, $50, $50 a month. Yeah, so I'm paying, I'm paying for a fixed income of $50 every six years or every six um, months per bond. Yeah, sorry, six months. Manhattan's getting to me. But yeah, that's pretty much what it means, right? And 
If I'm pay only paying $900 for that, then obviously I'm getting at a huge discount. If I paid $1,100 for it, then I paid a little premium to get that kind of yield. So the way, really quickly, to discuss why we have premiums and discounts, there's, kind mm -hmm. of, there's two reasons we look at those. Um, the first one is the one that they're going to teach you at every uh, finance class, which is just to say yep. there is a coupon rate. And there is a, a zero risk rate or risk-free rate. Yep. You could say, what's exactly. the market doing right now? And so the market, say the market is growing at 4% and this coupon rate is 5%. Well, now yep. I look at it and I go, okay, investing my money in this bond is going to give me a better return than investing it in the market. I'm willing to pay more money for that yeah. than the bond is necessarily worth. So that's why I'm paying it a premium. So if coupon rate exceeds what the average market is, you're going to be uh -huh. paying it a premium. However, if the coupon rate is paying it 2%, 2%, yeah. 3%, so less than what the market's growing at, you'd say, look, I don't want to pay $900 for this. I'm not willing to give you what, what you're asking. I'm, I'm willing to pay, I'm willing to yep. buy it because I'm willing to take the cash flows and get my money back, but I'm not willing to pay the full face value, the full par value. Right. So then you get a discount. Now, yeah. if the coupon rate is the exact same as the, as the growth in the market's rate, risk-free rate, you could say mm -hmm. at that point, I'll pay par value for this because it doesn't matter. Essentially, this yeah. bond is the same as any other security yeah. in the market. So who bonds cares? are a lot less risky because in the event of failure of the company, bondholders, debt holders, whatever you want to call it. Creditors. Creditors, right. That's right. Creditors get paid out next in line after taxes get paid, which means they get paid out before preferred shareholders and they get paid out before stockholders uh, or equity holders. Yeah. So you're so, going to, yeah. So creditors get paid first. Taxes get paid first and then creditors get paid right after that. Well, if you're, if you're, if you're failing and losing money, there's no taxes. Well, okay. Well, fair <laughs> enough. But that's why the hypothetical yeah. taxes get paid first. Yes. Then, the government gets in, cut, it's cut, then yeah. creditors, then preferred shareholders if there's anything left. And then if there's anything left, the common shareholder gets something. They'll get like two pennies out of it. Yeah. But but yeah, essentially bonds are a lot less risky. So, you know, if you could pay par value to get the same exact return as the markets, uh, usually you can't. Usually it's always you pay par value. Yeah, usually you wouldn't. Usually you pay par value to get a little bit less of a return than the actual stock market. Yeah. But, but in the event of a downturn, you're still going to be, you, you we, would, we would adjudicate this as less risky, so you're not going to lose. Right. You're still going to get your payout. Now, the other side of that is what also affects the price of a bond is the risk associated with that bond. Yeah. Right. So, which is part two, for, which was, as I say, was part yeah. two. Is so the risk sometimes, profile. yeah. Sometimes you'll see like a 10% coupon bond. But the yield is like forty percent because nobody wants to buy this bond. Yeah, so, so you'll see that you'll see what, what, what you'll see there is that this bond is going to be trading almost always then at some sort of discount. <laughs> well, yeah, because nobody wants to buy. Which is it. the exact yeah. opposite of the rules I just told you. But the reason that this is true in this case is because this this company that we're looking at has a huge default risk. Yes, they do not have a good credit rating. If you want to talk, look at it that way, yeah, like your credit score is like five hundred. It's, it's or whatever. It's a sketchy guy who walked up onto you, walked up to you on a corner and said, "If you give me ten bucks, I'll bring you twenty in five minutes." Yeah, he walked up to you at, at a Seven Eleven. It was just like, hey, what do you think about this? Yeah. He's like, he's like if you, you give know? me 20 bucks, I'll meet you here next week and I'll give you 50 bucks. <laughs> There's a distinct possibility. He won't show up. That he all. is telling the truth. He <laughs> will do okay. that for you. Also, however, the truth, but there's also a distinct possibility. It is highly probable <laughs> that he is just going to take your 20 bucks and never come back. Correct. So it's, it, it, it's very much one of those things where it's like, you know, so when we, so when we talk about bonds, we see like, yep. that's why you see like high yield. That's why you'll see like a coupon rate that's very, very high. 
really exceeding the market. Uh, not, and yet not it'll necessarily have, the coupon rate. It's more of a it's more of the yield that's really high. The coupon rate is usually uh, I mean you can't really vary off the coupon rate in my opinion. You'll see I, mean, I guess so you could. Specifically with a lot of the Chinese Okay, well, okay real that, estate developers. <laughs> well, okay, you are seeing okay. very high you're either seeing very high yield or <laughs> okay. very substantial discounts. Okay. So you're seeing you're seeing you, high you coupon or substantial <laughs> discount. That was, I guess, what I was looking at when I okay. was doing my You, you would, but I mean, like, I don't know if Halliburton will issue a bond with a 20% coupon rate. I mean, no. Seriously? No. So so Indeed. really, the only bonds you're going to see with very, very high coupon rates are junk. So junk-rated bonds, high-risk yeah. bonds. Um, and it's because they have the to yield, do that. But it's usually the yield that's high. It's not necessarily the coupon. It's just that the bond trades. I mean, when well, they issue it, when they, okay, yeah, they'll issue it at a high coupon. But then when it goes to the secondary market, like, you know. That's so you where you buy see from, yield go nuts. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so, you, so you buy from Occidental, you buy from Halliburton or, or whoever, and then I buy it from you. But, like, you want to get rid of the bond so desperately and nobody wants to buy the bond. And then eventually I, I'm, like, James, you're willing you like you're seriously willing to sell this thing for five hundred bucks? It's a twenty percent coupon. Sure, why not? Right? And then that's essentially when the yield is like eighty percent or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, you're starting I mean, to see yield go wild. So yeah. the reason yield is important on this, the reason I wanted to like when I was talking to Aaron about it, it was we've talked about this from the investor's perspective. Yes, we right? have. Now let's talk about it from the business perspective. The higher the yield on a bond, essentially mm-hmm. what that means is it's more expensive for that business yeah. to borrow money. That's what a bond really is. They're borrowing money from you. Yeah. And but they're not. But if, the difference between a bond and actually borrowing money is like a bond is an, an investor saying, please take my money and make money with it. Whereas borrowing from a bank is just like, yeah, right, fine. So, you need, yeah. yeah. So there's, there's liquidity injection versus. So the great thing about bonds, the reason bonds get used is if we look at the, there's, there's three ways to get cap, to, there's capital in like the, in, in terms of cash, there's yeah. three ways to get capital and it's, you can either borrow it from lenders, yeah. I can sell equity or I can issue script or yep. issuing script means I can issue bonds. Yeah. Or a combination like, of some of the three. Or a combo. Or a combo. Different and, uh, the reason, yeah. generally speaking, the reason I don't want to sell equity is I don't want to dilute an ownership stake. Yeah. Um, I don't want to dilute Correct. my earnings per share. Or your dividend payout to yourself you know, or I don't, whatever it my is. My dividend payouts, whatever it is, there's a reason I don't want to do that. I don't want to borrow money from a bank because that shows as well. Both are going to show well. Both bonds Script. and and a loan would show as liabilities on my balance sheet. Yeah, Loans look a little different, and usually there is a limit to the size of a loan you can get from a bank. Well, amount, yeah, you, you will get more money issuing bonds. Yeah, well, in script you can. Yeah, there's no limit. I mean, yeah, if someone wants to buy it, you can sell it to them. Absolutely, if so, someone's willing to buy it, I can issue it. Yeah. So that's why. So that's why bonds are often the preferred. Method. The other thing with bonds is I can either have a secured bond or an unsecured bond. I can also have bonds mm-hmm. that I, I can determine the timeline on the bonds. Yeah. So instead of a loan where a bank might say, I'll give it to you, but it's a five-year note. As a company, you say, this is the maturity date. So up until this but date. I issue the bond, I can say, you know what? This is a 20-year bond. Yeah. 20 years, I'll give you $1,000, and then I'll give you the coupon rate. Every six months or every – and you, you can choose the payment. You can choose the I payment. I choose my payout schedule. So I can say, yeah. I will pay so, you – $50 a year to borrow $1,000 from you for the next 20 years. Right. Or you can say, I'll pay you $25 every six months. Mm-hmm. Or you can say, I'll pay you $6 every month. Absolutely. Right? So whatever it is I want to do it is. as the company. And then within that bond, I can also make it a callable bond. I can say that as the company, I have the right to call this bond at a future date. 
where essentially yeah. you say the market has changed in a way that this bond is actually too expensive. I could reissue whole new bonds with much lower coupon rates and settle this debt now early. Right. But, uh, yeah. So when we raise, when you're trying to raise huge amounts of money, you don't want to dilute your ownership stake. Mm-hmm. Bonds are the way to go. Now, when you start to see very high yeah. yields. That's when you start to realize, well, hang on, I need to borrow. In a perfect situation, I'd issue yeah, $100 million worth of bonds to raise $100 million yeah. for an expansion project. But if you can't get $100 but, million, like if you're having a tough time finding $100 million or people just don't want to buy debt from your company, what you have to do is you have to increase the coupon rate to incentivize people to buy your freaking bond. Or I could sell so, it at a much bigger discount. So maybe in order to or, get that well, capital- but, the, but, but if you sell it at a discount, you're not getting $100 million. Well, unless I issue more scripts. So I might have to oh, issue- Oh, yeah, okay, gotcha, yeah. $100 $25 million so, in debt to raise $100 million of capital. Maturity date, you're going to have to pay out $120 million, but exactly. you, can, you can issue it to the public at a discount. Gotcha. Right. So, I yeah. to, so that's what I mean when I say like, so when yields go up, what that means is it's getting more expensive for me to borrow money. I have to, in order to get the cash I need, I have to borrow more than that. Yeah. People. Now they're not mm-hmm. giving me more than that, but Yes, yeah. I'm having to borrow maybe the equivalent of an excess of 125 million. Yeah, exactly. To get 100 million, so that's what that's what we say when like it gets more expensive as yield yeah. goes up. Now, I also want to now look at bonds from. Okay, we looked at it from the borrower's perspective. So, if I was a company and I needed to raise money, why would I do that? And what's my angle? But from there, I also want to look at bonds from. Like James, let's just say you bought a bunch of bonds from Occidental or Halliburton or, or whoever it is, whatever oil company it is. Okay. And I, I, now I'm shopping for bonds and now I'm interested in buying that bond from you potentially. Right, so the secondary market. Secondary market for bonds. Uh, if yields go up, what does that mean okay. versus when yields go down? So if yields go up, what that means is that for some reason, the bond itself, the specific bond that you're talking about is being looked at less favorably mm-hmm. than historically it was. Mm-hmm. No, but why does it do that? Why does it get looked so less- So there could, be a, there could uh-huh. be a bunch of factors. Yeah. And usually the easiest are the economy is performing substantially better than it was at the time those bonds were issued, right? Uh-huh. So you see the markets are, are, over, are producing way more. So you might sit here and say like, wow, yields are really, I mean, if yields are going to go down on- I want to just own the company instead of- yeah. I'll buy equity shares because those are really increasing in price. Yeah. Or if I put my money in in just in the in the market as a whole, I'll gain I'll be gain, growing at six percent versus four percent or whatever the coupon is. The coupon, yeah. Okay. Whereas it, historically maybe it was five percent the market was growing at. So you were like, well, no, it's mm. the value's not there anymore. But what about but what about if so, Jerome Powell says, look, we're going to raise interest rates, or hey, we're going to lower interest rates? Sure. What would that do to your bond? So it depends on which one he's going to do. So let's say Jerome Powell says, okay. You know what? This is insane. Uh, we got to start tapering. Uh, let's raise interest rates from twenty-five basis points to one one hundred twenty-five basis, one point two five. Okay, so what would that do to the bonds that you currently hold in your portfolio? Yeah, it's, well, it's gonna it's gonna drop your it's gonna drop the value of your bond, and the reason yeah. it's gonna drop the value of your bond is because well, now the free rate maybe free right? rate's gone up. Maybe I'm better off just putting my money in a savings account. Is right. honest to God how that works. But at the same time, there's other bonds out there, right? There's other new bonds mm-hmm. out there because. He raised the interest rates from 0.25 to 1.25. You can go to the market and buy a risk-free bond, essentially, from the U.S. government at 1.25, which means the current bonds that are out there- Are probably going to um, start increasing their coupon rates as well. Yeah. 
uh, or at least the new issue bonds are going to... New issue bonds. Right. So like, if you currently yes. hold a Halliburton bond, I don't know why I keep saying Halliburton. Why, why do I keep picking on a Halliburton and Occidental? <laughs> Whatever. But <laughs> the same, it. if you currently hold a Halliburton and Occidental bond and it's paying out a 5% coupon, all of a sudden the interest rates go up and Halliburton continues to issue more bonds at whatever coupon rate, it's like, well... So if um, you would see newer bonds being issued at high, with higher coupon rates which is yeah. good. You would see treasuries being issued with higher coupon payments, which is yeah. good. And so, yeah, the value- Well, yeah, because Halliburton the, would have to increase their coupon rates too. Well, they wouldn't have to, They or Tec- they would have to accept- I mean, technically they would, right? Or, or, or yeah, the, discount. Or the yield would increase, right? So basically, yes. yields would increase across the board. Either raise coupon or yeah. let yield So increase. people that are currently shopping for bonds, they're not going to look for existing bonds out there because it's like, well, the yield is- the yield sucks now compared to the, the landscape of the bond market. Yeah, compared, compared to other things that might have existed. Yeah, conversely, yeah. if interest rates were to decrease, well, the current bonds that are out there that have and will continue to maintain their yield based on the par value, those bonds are going to be a lot more coveted. And because of that- Yeah, they become more valuable. They become more valuable. Because, so they because you see a devaluation. It. And right. so you'll see that decreasing yield. So yeah, no, you're, that's that's exactly right. So that's that's kind of how that will affect- yeah. The secondary that market. That is how, yeah. yeah. The secondary market uh, perspective. And this is the secondary market. Primary Absolutely. market. Yeah. Now there is one other thing that can affect yield on a bond. Nice. Because I, I wasn't really thinking, I was I I, had, I did not expect you to, to jump at me with a fiscal policy question. So- Oh, sorry. Catch up. I, no, I- <laughs> Fair, fair, well, <laughs> honest to God, Aaron, fair play. I just wasn't thinking about it. I'm just so used to zero. So the other one is, so there's one other thing well, that could affect- that That's what happens when bush light. Ooh, called out. Fair. That's fair. So there's bush one other light, thing that could affect it. Uh, and it's not, it's not like the only one other thing. There's multiple things. But, but the other big one for me is if there begin to be doubts- about the company's ability to pay the bond. Right. So if we start to see liquidity issues or going concern issues with the issuing entity. Lehman Brothers in 2007. So if, yeah. If I had a Lehman Brother bond Ew, and it was yeah. and it's paying a pretty good coupon, well, yeah. I can tell you the yield on that is going to skyrocket the second I go, yeah. I don't think they can pay me. Well, yeah, exactly. And you don't want, like the thing is, why do you lend someone money is because you want your money back. I'm never going to lend someone money unless I'm expecting all of it back at some point and maybe a little bit of interest. I, right? I, I, mean, I my view is I don't want to lend money unless I expect to break even. Of course, you got to break even at least. Well, I mean, fr- friend to friend, you at least want to break even. But like, if you're a financial institution, this is your business. Yeah, like you gotta get you got you gotta more than break even. Or unless they're or, or and I'm willing so. to. I would also understand being willing to loan money that you don't expect to be paid back if it's in your best interest to loan the money. And uh, that's a really weird way of saying like you might loan money well, to someone to mm-hmm. avoid. A worse outcome. Say you've got a supplier who's in a lot of trouble and you're about to source a new supplier because you know that they're in trouble, but they need $100 to finish a shipment. You might mm-hmm. loan them a hundred dollars. The shipment gets finished. Gotcha. And sent to oh, you. Okay, I see. Knowing fully that you may never get that loan back because you have it. It's in your interest to get the goods. Right. Exactly. So you can turn around and sell them. And that these guys are still in business. Cost. Yes. So if you're a bar and you know this is the person that you get your your wild turkey from sure. and you don't know anyone else in the area to get wild turkey and this person is struggling for whatever business reasons are out there you know you might decide hey well you know i'll sell this person a bond 
or I guess I'll buy a bond from that person. Sorry, I'll buy a bond from this other person. way around. Yeah, I'll buy a bond from this yep. person and never um, expecting to get if, the cash. I don't get my part back. value back. Well, at least these guys are in business, and uh, and I'm still buying wild yeah, turkey. Yeah, I'm expecting so. exactly. I'm expecting some other gain. That makes. I'm sense. expecting a okay. different gain. Yeah, yeah. That's, so that's and that's what I mean by that is you might yeah. you might be willing to do it if you expect that's kind of another benefit. Yeah, that's kind of like what TARP was initially when TARP was issued. Obviously, like it was very profitable, no doubt yeah. about it. But when TARP was issued, it was like, oh man, I don't and know. Like, the but programs. then again, you know, the economic collapse, if we don't lend out this money is, is just terrible. But then again, yeah, obviously- the benefit was we may lose money, but the alternative is right. worse. But obviously, we didn't <laughs> I mean, it was very profitable. So congratulations Absolutely. on the federal government for uh, sending that out. Answering Warren Buffett's phone call? Yeah, no, literally. Uh, yeah. Speaking of Warren Buffett during uh, the whole thing, you know how he's offered- a chance to buy five or however many five billion, I think, in preferred shares of Lehman Brothers. Remember and then that? I think of uh, Goldman too, because he did buy he, Goldman. He, well, yeah, well, <laughs> I, I know, but so he actually did. But okay, so so preferred shares are uh, it's a debt and I guess equity. Yeah, it's a why it's a fixed you, income and you, an equity. It's it's a weird yeah. So it's half bond, half, half stock. Not. Yeah. Um, so why would you yeah. why would you not do preferred stocks? Why would you do script so instead of preferred stock? It comes down kind of to a, there's a few different factors, and it's that it's a lot easier to get people to go into the bond markets than into the preferred share markets, uh-huh. mainly because they're both they're both fixed income. It's just the risk profile. Is that essentially just yeah? The main it's it's the risk profile. You're you're it's because you're second in line instead of first, gotcha. right? So you, some people don't want to go into preferred share. Yeah. Preferred shareholders. So preferred share is different from common shares. Yeah, it's so it's not common equity because if you own common equity, that's you own the you own the actual company or a portion of it. Yeah. So pref- the big difference is that a preferred share doesn't have a par. Va- well, it does have a par value from an accounting perspective, but it doesn't yeah. have <laughs> a it doesn't have a terminal life value. Yes. So like, oh, I mean, it can. It can, but usually doesn't. Right. So it's so what happens is a bond. Is worth as a face value of a thousand dollars, and there's a maturity date. This is right? when it's done, and there's a maturity date. Thousand dollars back because it's a fixed income asset. So what happens is instead of it being a payout, so, a coupon payout, or essentially yeah. an interest payout, preferred mm-hmm. shares don't draw from those; they draw from dividends. Yeah, the ice isn't breaking up in my drink right now. Sorry. Oh well, I know. I don't know why this. I know. Sorry, <laughs> but yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's really complicated. But also, it's not as complicated as the uh, finance, institu- finance industry makes no, it out it's, to be. Yeah, and that's why, um, and that's why when, so, when bonds state their price, it's uh, it's stated as a percentage difference between what you're paying and right, our value on a scale of 100. So a, a right. bond paying out at 100 is paying out at par value. A bond paying out at 99 is paying is essentially your, or, oh, it's 99. Well, yeah. That means well, that you're paying 990. Yeah. You know? It's like a 101.5. Uh, that just, I, I think what that means is what? It's priced one and a half percent more. That's what it is. Than, yeah. And, yeah, and so if it's quoted it's, in 30 seconds, I think, I think what it comes out to is if it's like, if it's got like a 5% yield, it'll show up as like 101.5% yield, like 101 point like one six. Or something like that, because sixteen divided by thirty-two, and that's a um, half percent, or something like that. I think that's how it goes. I'm not exactly sure where it comes to thirty seconds. So don't quote me on it, but I made a valiant effort. Yeah, so it's 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 so just I'll, the 
to me, it's just, I don't know, looking at bonds, you, they're quoted in a strange way. But yeah, the only are. reason they're doing that is like, hey, what are you, essentially all they're saying is, chances are, if you're buying bonds in a meaningful way, you probably, you're sitting here looking going, I know all bonds are a thousand. I need to know, is this bond discounted? Right. Or is it, um, is it at a premium associated with it? And then as you're, if you're chasing yield, you might sit here and say, well, I fully expect bond prices to, uh, or our interest rates to go up or this company to have a bumper quarter. Yeah. And so the yield is going to plummet, mm-hmm. right? Because right. I, I just, I just have a feeling that yield's going to go down. And so if that's the case, I expect my capital gain to increase on this. So right. I'm going to, I'm just surprised no, not really yeah. going to jump in on this or I'm, or I'm going to dump out of my position. It's, now. It's, I think it's quoted in hundreds because it's more of like for every hundred dollars you spend on this bond, this is probably going to get back. Yes. I think that's why and they that's, do and it. That's what but I, I don't they like know. To do. I, I'm not, that's yeah, a They like guess. to look at it as a percentage. As a percentage wise, because it's like this yeah. is how much you're paying to buy to buy that hundred dollars. Yeah. Oh, you're gonna spend ninety nine fifty to buy a hundred dollars. That's actually not depending on when it's coming due. That's not necessarily yeah. the worst idea I've ever. And, heard. and that's the thing is like, and, and that's also like, I mean, it's not hard to find out how bonds are quoted. You can Google it. You know, so yeah. Um, you know, I should know. I should probably save you from that uh, that that dreaded Google search. But yeah, with that um, in mind, yeah, uh, that's one way to to seek yield. Um, and speaking of speaking seeking of yield. yield. Ooh, um, seeking yield. I like it. Yeah. Seeking yield. Um, Do you know what yields some of the best results you can possibly get when it comes to podcast merchandise? Drunkenomics.myspreadshot.com yields some awesome merch, guys. Yields the some, best merch. The best merch. Money can buy. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, this is like this is like Tesla stock. I mean, this is this is a, this is the hottest thing in the market right now. It is absolutely. Uh, I got apparently. I got a, I I had a guy notice it when I was out at the grocery store. Not financial he was advice. Just like, he was like, "Whoa, that's." He's like, "That's a." He noticed the hoodie and he was you like, oh, "I'm wearing my hoodie." And he's like, "He's like, oh, that's a cool hoodie." Yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, my man, it is." Dude, you were cool. glowing. It's even man. cooler podcast. Yes. So but, speaking of which, so be cool. So the next one is be like James. Yeah, be like us. Get some merch. It yielded some pretty good results so far. Yeah. And if you're looking to uh, maybe support us in another way, you've already got the merch. Mm-hmm. You got that sweet tote that you can. Yeah, you got that sweet tote bag from uh, Sintestis Bjorn. Because yeah, I, are we saying yeah, it correctly now or no? I mean, we absolutely I, we, aren't, and he's never going to tell us. Whatever. But uh, um, either way, yeah, no, you super glad you got the tote, tote bag, I'm man. glad it worked. Let us know how yeah. it works. I'm very curious. I'm thinking about getting one for. Um, Let's put it this way: the holiday season's coming up, and let's see what yeah. we can do. Uh, a little get, shameless plug. Yeah, I might just get everybody um, a, a holiday, you know, juggernaut shirt. Why not? Exactly. And then, um, if you already have the merch, you want to support us another way, you can track us down at Patreon.com/slash Drunkenomics. Oh yeah, throw some money our way. Uh, help us, yes, help us keep can. the uh, help us keep the fridge cold, the liquor cabinet stocked, the ice and keeps churning. Guys, I didn't realize that we were that I did not know that our lemon budget was so uh, disproportionately okay. I, low. I'm sorry, dude. No, no, it wasn't low. It was me being negligent at the grocery store. Okay. Look, I, but honestly, if guys, you want me, is, if you want to help me be less negligent, uh, you know the Patreon thing. Yeah, if you help, want to, yeah. let's put it this way: the the more you either either the more um, you buy some swag, you, you know, you buy some merch, you, you jump us on Patreon. Look, let's let's keep lemons in Aaron's life because yeah. I love I love a cherry in my Manhattan every now and again. But <laughs> I'll be honest, that lev- that lemon twist it's is for the me, world of difference. Yes, that's, that's makes it so much better. Yeah, that makes it way better. You have no idea how much better a lemon twist is on uh, Manhattan. But yeah, I guess uh, with that said, um, I hope you have filled and killed. Hope you have played some chestnut checkers. In keeping with the bad um, jokes, I will yield my time and I'll just stay stay drunk and amical, guys. My man, dude. Cheers. Thanks for joining us for another drink. Cheers.